Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Forever Saturday podcast, because it is always college football Saturday in our house. I'm Serena, better known as S. George at R on Twitter. And I'm Matt, also at MattSwartz723. Michigan played something vaguely resembling football on Saturday, and that's what we're here to talk about. It was kind of actually football. I mean, remember in the old days, they used to do like just a basically an open practice, and then they would kind of make up like game-ish rules. But now it's it's actually kind of a game, at least. So that's nice. No, I mean, it's definitely a game. It's a short game, and the rules are kind of made up. Harbaugh <laughs> definitely makes up the rules as he goes that's along. That's honestly... Whose line is it anyway, energy? Yeah, it's one of my favorite things about the spring game actually is that Harbaugh can just be like actually we're gonna play more minutes actually you're gonna get one more play you can challenge pass interference now (laughs) you know he's ahead of his time but they did play some football and we're gonna talk about it what we saw our impressions offense defense top performers I'm gonna comment on the fact that I apparently don't know who anybody on the fucking roster is because well there were some names (laughs) there were some names I also wanted to say before we started that I think in both our like spring practice preview episode and then in the last one, I kind of came across as like disinterested in the sense that there's not that many you know big position battles or whatever, and so I, I think I made it sound that I like wasn't interested in spring practice, and that wasn't really true, especially in the spring game. It was honestly just kind of nice to be able to watch the spring game and enjoy the early glimpses of a team that we know is going to be very good. And not necessarily have to split hairs between, you know, charting quarterback throws and being like, oh, God, I don't know if the offensive line, the starting offensive line can block anybody. Like, for the most part, you were just looking for, like, little things like, how's this guy progressing, coming back from injury, blah, blah, blah. Otherwise, it was just kind of a thing I could enjoy and not have to, you know. Yeah, I believe what you're referring to is fun. (laughs) Yes, that sounds right. Right? Like, it's just, it can be fun. It doesn't have to be something where you're, like, wiping sweat off your brow, being like, okay we have a corner whatever it yes. may be. we'll talk about corner but like you know it, it doesn't have to be like that because there's just a certain level of confidence in the way that the team is going to be able to play and as far as disinterested goes I mean they could go out there and just punt for 90 minutes and I would watch it so like I don't know I'm gonna start charting I, Tommy Doman's hang like, time I don't know what disinterested means as it relates to people like you yeah. and me if they wanted to just put Blake Corum out there to do the press that he was doing I would watch that for press, no, yeah. I would do yeah. I would watch 90 minutes of bench press too like I don't care that's my thing we can't ever really be disinterested in this but ultimately yeah you're right I mean there's there wasn't there's not really that much that I feel like I have to you know be hyper fixated on that's going to torment me from now till September and that kind of came through in the way that the game was played not not like the way that it was played but the fact that there were so many significant players who either played like one series like I think Trevor Keegan played the first series and that was it JJ got a little bit more than that but Cornelius Johnson I think played one series Roman Wilson the same whole bunch of guys didn't play at all obviously we talked about that last week and they just held a ton of guys out because there are so many players who are already established starters that there was no reason to risk them and have them out there in that setting so it ended up being a lot of um kind of weird mixes of you had like starters or backups playing with threes and fours you know you had jj mccarthy throwing touchdown passes to jake thaw it's like who the fuck is that (laughs) Yeah, that was one of the names where I was like, that's not real. That's not a real person. And I think especially on like the offensive line, for example, trying to read freshmen or guys way down the depth chart playing next to starters and seeing, you know, guys go unblocked. It's like, well, yeah, that's going to happen because this 
is not a cohesive group that's ever going to play together and you have a whole bunch of guys who don't know what they're doing. So there's a lot of it that you can't really make any meaningful like observations or judgments from. But, you know, I think we've got a handful of things that we did find interesting from an observational standpoint. So we'll talk about that. Yeah, for sure. Defense first? Yeah, yeah, let's start there. I was going to mention that Peyton O'Leary kind of stole the show. And I think to some extent that the reverse of that was we were all watching to see, like, what does Amorian Walker look like? And or what does Jaden McBurrows look like? Since they were the two guys who were talked about as the potential number two starting corner. And... From a Morgan Walker standpoint, the Peyton O'Leary show wasn't necessarily a good thing. I will say that I think it kind of got overblown because we just went back and rewatched the spring game. We watched it live, obviously, and then watched a replay of it again. Just to disinterested. Kind of, we right. rewatched a spring game. <laughs> Get out of here. That's really, really something. When you put it that way. But yeah, only about half of the time when O'Leary was getting targeted was he going up against Walker. Early in the game, he was really picking on Miles Pollard. And then a couple times later in the game, it was uh, he, he had one matchup, I think, with Keon Sab, where he got a, a safety matchup, and Davis Warren hit him kind of up the sideline before Sab could get over. So it was not just Walker getting picked on. And also, we heard a little bit about, about O'Leary last year in spring as a guy who, like, was a walk-on, but, hey, he's a real player. He might actually play. And apparently now he's on scholarship. We're not sure if that's a real, like, in-the-fall scholarship or if that's just a temporary thing. But it does sound like O'Leary is like a legitimate receiver who knows what he's doing. And so to some extent, I don't think it was just Walker getting picked on in a way that was super concerning. In come the Cooper cup comparisons, <laughs> white receiver, you know, it's coming like, and, and, and he's tall enough that it can't be like Julian Edelman. It can't be a little slot guy. That's the other default option, right? Correct. There are two options. If you're a white receiver right now, you can be Edelman or you can be Cooper cup. That's right. And th- those are the only options. Apologies, but <laughs> you're stuck. Yeah, obviously we wanted to see Amorian Walker look like a legit starter, and I'm not sure that he was quite there yet. I did think that for the most part he was in position and like making a play on the ball. He also had one, I think it was Warren, who threw up a, a deep ball to Darius Clemens, and Walker should have picked it off. He actually had it and was coming down with it, and as, he, as his butt hit the ground, it kind of popped out, so he didn't get the pick there. But for the most part, I thought he was in pretty good position in a way that was kind of positive he also was getting kind of abused with O'Leary especially like late in the game they were just throwing him hitches or you know throwing him kind of jump balls and letting him out technique or like use his body to box out Walker and that's that's stuff that I think is inevitable for a guy who hasn't played that much of of the position and you're just going to have to acknowledge that he needs more time to refine okay balls in the air how do I make a play on it because that's just different from being a receiver right so I thought it was okay. We did see some of McBurrows as well. He actually kind of interestingly played more nickel than outside corner. I didn't really see him line up outside much, which kind of makes me think that Walker is still the de facto leader there going into fall camp. McBurrows did come up and have a couple nice tackles, nice hits. He showed that he you know, is strong in the run game at the very least. So we'll see if that kind of – or how that carries over and if he's really competing for that outside spot with Walker in fall. But – Yeah, I think it's a situation where you're just going to have to, again, acknowledge that Walker is going to take some time. You're going to keep giving him reps, giving him opportunities against the, you know, the receivers that Michigan has to get him as ready as you can. I think they're probably going to be fine there. Like one of those guys is probably someone will put it together. 
But even if they don't, the break glass in case of emergency option is still to move Mikey to the outside. That's and right. the worst case scenario, I suppose, is one in which that happens. We've both said that we don't want to see that happen just because he's so great at nickel. Well, right. You end up basically worsening more than one. Well, you strengthen one position, but in doing so, you have to move guys around in a way that you're putting other guys out of their ideal position. So like you said, it's a break glass in case of emergency, but I, I do think that what we've seen from Walker, like by mid season, six months from now, basically he'll be at a point where he is at least a capable starter. Or if not, like maybe McBurrow's kind of steps up there and overtakes him. Or like you said, you fall back to, to Mikey Sanders still playing more on the outside and you kind of figure it out elsewhere. Rod Moore plays more, slot corner or whatever like you can move guys around because you have enough pieces elsewhere yeah for sure neither one of us walked away from that feeling great but we also aren't like I'm not actually worried about it it would take like I'm a little worried about it but not (laughs) I'm not actually worried about it at all I just feel like it'll come with time and yeah you know if if it's like week five of the actual season and we're playing I don't know Maryland or something and we're having a hard time with their receivers then I'll be a little worried but I don't know until that happens my thing right now is it's more as the time like this year or is it a year from now that he's going to be kind of a, a weak spot all year but you don't want to move the pieces around that you have to to you know you feel like you're losing enough elsewhere by moving Mikey away from corner and one way or another you just kind of have a, a spot that's going to be a little bit of a, a problem that's it's possible, but uh, we'll just have to see how it plays out and hope that over the next four months especially and then going into the early part of the season that you see those strides that are definitely possible. I also wanted to talk on the defense about Josiah Stewart. He was a guy who, maybe more than anybody else, like I was watching for Walker specifically just given that that was a big question mark, but Stewart I think jumped out to me more than maybe anybody else on the defense. He looked like a very legit pass rusher. Had at least three times that I can think of off the top of my head where he was tearing around slash through somebody and getting pretty quick pressure I also don't think it was it didn't go unnoticed that when Harbaugh was doing his little on-field interview before the game and he was talking about some of the newcomers and how much they'd added to the program the first name out of his mouth was Josiah Stewart and he was kind of laughing as he said it like you could just tell that that was a guy that Harbaugh was like oh I'm excited you're gonna see some stuff from this guy and we did. Yeah, it was knowing laughter. Or Josiah Stua as his name. To, <laughs> name yeah, I just want to say, games. if you want to talk about who had the worst game, it wasn't anybody <laughs> who played any snaps. It was whoever had to put the name plates on because they weren't the normal ones. Like they weren't, yeah, they weren't stitched, stitched on with they, the like that was like some iron on shit. Like, I don't know. It looked it looked like the T-shirts at the Taylor Swift concert, like all the girls that made them buy at home yeah, with like their iron. Half the players had letters coming off or letters completely missing over the course of the game. Uh, Amorian Walker was one. Josiah Stewart was, like I said, Stua for most of the game. Mullings. The <laughs> yeah. Mullig, I think. Was yeah. Like, it, it was... It was that, rough. Whoever that is, equipment personnel, <laughs> had actually the worst game. Yeah, it was rough. But, you know, Stewart was really impressive. And I think just seeing that, seeing that explosiveness that he brought, I think he is going to give them something that they didn't have... They really didn't have on the roster last year. We saw little glimpses of it from... Like, Mike Morris is a pretty good pass rusher, but more of a power rush guy. And we saw bits and pieces of it from Oki as the season went along. But Stewart's a guy who's already, I think, kind of the refined package in that way. I expect that he will start and probably lead the team in sacks, given the you know what most of the guys, most of the other edge type of guys are. That feels reasonable to me. 
And speaking of edges, I also was really impressed with Derek Moore. I kind of called him out going into the um, going into the spring game as a guy I was interested to see, and he is very much the you know last year he was a freshman who was like physically didn't look like a freshman, but in technique you could tell that he still had a lot of stuff to figure out, and it kind of looks like he's figured out some of that stuff. There was the one play in particular where he was lined up at end against uh, Jeffrey Percy who started last year against Rutgers, remember when Ryan Hayes was out at left tackle? And this this, uh, play, Percy was at right tackle. And Derek Moore, one-handed, lifted him off the ground and planted him on the ground and got into the quarterback to force an interception. And that's the kind of stuff where it's like, oh, my God. Like, if you can do that regularly, and he might be able to because he's, I think, like 290 pounds. I mean, he's a Mike Morris-sized, large like he's got all the pieces that you need from that sort of like strong side end. So I would love to see him kind of continue to take those steps and be the starter opposite Stewart. I think that would give them a really good combination of edges. And we also saw a little bit, I think out of uh, Jalen Harrell as well. A couple of times he was getting pressure that we haven't really seen much of over the course of his career. Yeah. I have thoughts on that. My, my instinct tells me that, I know what Jalen Harrell is as a commodity. And I so I don't think the pass rush is just going to kind of magically come along this year. I think that anything we saw out of Harrell is more likely attributable to kind of mid offensive line play or dudes playing out of position on the offensive line or dudes not playing with the people they're used to playing next to on the offensive line. Like I think yeah, if, I'm little... if I'm allocating, if I'm allocating, you know, whether I think Jalen Harrell's pressure is more attributable to Jalen Harrell or the offensive line, I'm going to go like 80% offensive line. That's probably fair, but at least one of them that Harrell got was also on Percy. And again, you might just say like, well, okay, Percy is not very good, but he was the backup left tackle last year and and did start a game and looked competent against Rutgers. So, and and Rutgers actually had a a pretty good defense last year. This is not just like, (laughs) you know, dregs of the big 10 where you're like, okay, none of that mattered because level of competition, blah, blah, blah. So, I think Percy we know a little bit about to say that this is not just somebody who's so buried on the depth chart that all of the takeaways are irrelevant. When you've got Moore and Harold beating somebody like that who was already getting playing time on last year's you know, Joe Moore award-winning offensive line, that's something I think, I don't know how much it means, but it, it doesn't mean nothing, I guess is my takeaway on that. Fair enough. Maybe it means 20% of something. <laughs> 20% of something, sure. Well, we can go with that. Yeah. You know, I, I thought the edges looked really good, especially Stewart and Moore. So I'm pretty optimistic. I came out of the game feeling, I think, more optimistic about the edges than I had going in, maybe more so than any other position on the field. Yeah, I agree. If you were to ask me which position I feel more confident about than I did before the spring game, I think edge is the answer to that question. Yeah. And if there was one other one that was competing with that, it might be defensive tackle. Jeez. I mean, but I felt good about like I you know, I talked about this yeah, a little bit in the in the, you know, last couple of episodes, but the idea that we've kind of reversed Michigan's historic trend on tackles versus ends, like it, it was, you know, defensive end you for a while and then we didn't have any really last year that were of the Hutchinson and Ojabo Winovich Gary caliber that we had kind of yeah, become not, accustomed not the pass to. Rush right. In the Harvard. Mike Morris was the Big Ten defensive lineman it of the Feels year. <laughs> like cap to me. I don't know what to tell you. Like I know that that's technically true. And I know I understand Mike Morris is very good. I'm not knocking him in that way. But he didn't have the pass rush that we've become accustomed to seeing from Michigan's Agreed. ends. It's just a fact. And so 
you know, we talked about this a little bit that that has kind of and the tackles were shit for like a long time and like in the really rough stretch post Mohurst. Yes, exactly. And so in the post Mohurst era, it was kind of mid tier. And we talked a lot about how we think that has inverted and man, those tackles, like they're very impressive. They're terrifying. Yeah. I mean, Chris Jenkins barely played. He had a couple of, you know, he blew up a couple of plays early and then departed after like one series as many of the starter level players did. But I've said before, and I'll say again, that I think Chris Jenkins is maybe the best player on the defense this year. I think he's going to have an All-American caliber year. It's, I think the only other guy on his level is going to be Will Johnson, depending on how big of a step he takes. But beyond him, you had Mason Graham looking, you know, looking like, again, a starter-level player early. He kind of got the starter treatment, too, where he didn't play a whole lot after the first couple of series. But Kenneth Grant, my God. I mean, you could see why he was the number one pick in the spring game and also Harbaugh's famous, you know, God's gift to football or whatever was the quote. A gift from the football gods, gods. I believe was the, was the exact, but yes. I think that's right. But yeah, I mean, a guy who is 360 pounds and can uh, more than once he split offensive linemen to make a play in the backfield. He also had one where I think it was Andrew Gentry at guard where he killed him. <laughs> he killed him. He killed him dead. It was over. It was uh, it was a JJ throw where he literally just blasted Gentry back on his ass and was getting in and probably should have gotten credit for a sack. And because he was getting in, JJ just kind of chucked the ball up and but drew he, a pass interference. Yeah, he drew the pass everything. interference. It was uh, Clemens was the receiver. That's right. Clemens got pulled down by Miles Pollard, who again didn't have a, <laughs> didn't a, have great, a great game. game. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we saw three or four things from Grant where it was Jordan Davis-level stuff where you're like, there is no way a man that big should be able to move that way. And if Michigan found a Jordan Davis behind their already good starters, like, their defensive line right now looks elite. I feel great about everything across the board. I I genuinely think they have – they could go too deep with one of the best defensive lines in the Big Ten. As in, you could take any four guys from their too deep – and put together one of the better defensive lines in the Big Ten, maybe the best. It's pretty impressive. It was funny watching uh, Kenneth Grant in particular. I think when they were talking to Jesse Minter right after halftime, he had mentioned that Kenneth Grant is kind of Mozzie Jr. And we definitely saw some of that. And then additionally, <laughs> the one guy I hadn't even mentioned yet was Rayshon Benny who to me looks a lot like Chris Jenkins Jr., where we saw him multiple times getting outside and blowing up like stretch plays or running back trying to bounce it outside. And that's the same sort of like sideline to sideline agility that you see from Chris Jenkins. So if they've got a junior Mozzie and a junior Chris Jenkins sitting behind those guys, and (laughs) well, Mozzie's gone now, but behind Jenkins and Mason Graham, who I'm assuming right now are kind of the, the primary starters, that's just unbelievable depth that, you know, to your point, it's been a while since they had really good defensive tackle play. Or I think we've seen it now over the last couple of years. But there was a the- gap there from like 2017 to 2020 of defensive tackle play. Like even the teams with right. with Winnow and Gary didn't have great tackle play in the post right. 2017 Mohurst. It was always edge oriented defensive lines, and yes. now yeah, it's it's just an embarrassment of riches at defensive tackle right now. So feel like I said, great about the whole defensive line situation. Agree. Cosign. I don't think I had anything else on the defense. I didn't either. In hindsight, I wish I had paid more attention to the linebackers, but 
I will say we saw Ernest Hausman a little bit. He had a couple nice plays, tracked a couple of guys down. Um, I did see him get beat by a tight end once in a way that wasn't great. We also saw Nakai Hill Green. He's still. We did <laughs> he does see Nakai Hill Green. That's great. Who might be like fourth on the depth chart at linebacker? He now? looked rusty, like somebody who had not played in a while, just from a like athleticism standpoint. I mean, I'm sure he still has the athleticism, but he just didn't look crisp in the way that he was moving and reading things. So yeah, to your point, it's it's nice that going into last year, even by like midseason last year, we were saying, God, without Nakai Hill Green, that other linebacker spot other than junior Colson, right? Kind of feels like a big question mark. And now, yeah, he might be third or fourth in that rotation. I still expect it's going to be Colson and Michael Barrett as the starters. Barrett was another guy who didn't play at all. I don't think I didn't see him out there. I don't remember seeing him, but then you've got Hausman who looked pretty solid. And then you've still got Hill green trying to work his way back. in. so, yeah, it's uh, another position that's come a long way in terms of the depth and the options that they have there. And that should be, helpful at the very least in thinking about how they you know shuffle guys around and try to get the uh, the optimal packages out there where last year they just did not have that flexibility yeah I'm hoping to see some improvement from them they had you know a pretty rough TCU game as they we did. all know and it seems that Chris Partridge has been brought back to coach them specifically yep um, which you know by all accounts uh, you know, the reputation that Partridge built for himself before he went to, you know, Ole Miss and kind of maybe got a little bit ahead of himself in a coordinator role mm-hmm. over his skis a little bit. But I- I'm I'm hoping I'm hopeful to see improvement from the linebackers going forward, too. So maybe I'll watch it. Maybe I want to watch a spring game a third time and try to watch linebackers. I don't know, because I don't feel like I notice them a lot, which usually is a good thing, right? Like boring yeah. linebackers, I suppose. But I didn't really notice them, so it just crossed my mind that I was like, oh, I wasn't really the, – the defensive line stole the show, really, and so I, I don't know that I had that many observations about them. It stuck out to me as a little strange, but – yeah. All right, fair. round three, spring game, round three. <laughs> this is mental illness. Thank you. All right, offense? Sure. So my number one takeaway on offense was J.J., and I know early on he had – the one throw in particular where he overthrew Marlon Klein, it looked like the ball slipped out of his hand because it just kind of fluttered yeah, like and got picked on off yeah. by the safety. But after that, I mean, especially the touchdown drive, the next time, well, it wasn't the next time they had the ball because they lost on a fumble, but the time after that, when they marched down the field just before halftime, he had three throws in a row that were just the kind of like sweet Jesus throws. <laughs> like He had the uh, the whole shot up the left sideline to Peyton O'Leary, and that was one where it was not against DeMorian Walker. And then he had O'Leary on the other side of the field, like to the far hash over the corner sitting underneath. Was that that ridiculous throw that Devin Gardner freaked out about where he was like, like, look at how far he is, like opposite hash mark? I mean, I watched the replay of that throw, and it was about uh, 15 yards, like vertical distance. And then also, like, from one hash all the way to the opposite sideline was probably another, like, 25-ish. We got Michigan so fans doing about, Pythagorean theorem again. Exactly right. <laughs> so you're talking about probably a 35-yard throw that was absolutely on a rope and right over a corner sitting underneath trying to undercut it. Like, you can't throw a ball any better than that. And that's the kind of stuff that it, JJ can do that there's just, like, so few players who can. And when you see that stuff, it's, it's literally indefensible. And then... The one right after that that finished it off was, I don't know, maybe the most impressive of the three where he's got uh, Braden McGregor kind of cutting inside the offensive tackle. And so he rolls to the left. And as he's running to his left, 
he makes that off-platform throw to Jake Thaw cutting at the corner of the end zone. <laughs> Jake Thaw, who is definitely real, <laughs> cutting to the corner of the end zone. And that's another one where I, I like I can't overstate how impressive that throw is to be able to like across your body off balance and put it right on a guy on a line in the corner of the end zone. It was again three in a row where I was just like, Jesus, when he is on, I, I don't he's know really fucking on. When he's on. He's really fucking on. Yes. And hopefully, I, I do think we'll see a little bit more of that this year, of them just leaning on JJ and saying, okay, we we trust you now. Like. It doesn't have to be the you know twenty three throws a game only when we need to kind of stuff. We're, we're going to open it up a little bit and let you be the guy. On the one hand, yes. On the other hand, I feel like I've been praying for Michigan to open <laughs> it up with a quarterback for like I don't know my whole life now. So I don't know. We'll see how well, it they goes. might not actually and need like, to. Okay, There's still Corm and Edwards, neither of whom played in this game. Correct. Like I, uh, you said, embarrassment of riches earlier. It's still true. Yeah, Michigan's skill position is in as good or better of a situation than it's been in since probably the Henny Hart Manningham team. Like it's been 20 years since we had this level of skill position talent. A hundred percent. Speaking of which, I want to talk a little bit about Benjamin Hall. (laughs) Yeah. Put some respect on Mike Hart's name here because he took a lot of flack for this take Mm -hmm. early in the cycle. And this kid looks good. Like he, he impressed me again. It's hard to say because every once in a while I felt like he hit an absolutely gaping hole that the interior offensive line was creating. But there were other times where he had pretty crafty and impressive runs with good vision and patience. Yeah, there were at least two runs he had that really jumped out to me where he didn't have much right at the snap. One in particular where it really was getting blown up in the backfield. And he just read it perfectly, kind of slowed down, let the uh, penetrating defensive lineman get on the wrong side of a block and then cut back almost all the way across the offensive line into a a seam up the sideline. That run really should have been a touchdown. I think he kind of got robbed when he ended up stepping maybe out of bounds at like the one-yard line. They should have let him finish it off. That was in the too-cool-to-overrule category, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, he looked. He kind of had that Le'Veon Bell Bell thing where he would like hesitate a little bit at the snap and let the play develop and read it. And then as soon as something came open— he was identifying and hitting it and getting five, six, seven plus yards. And that's just, I think that's a skill that as a running back, you mostly either have or you don't, is the vision and the ability to recognize stuff. Sometimes it gets better over time. I think Donovan Edwards has gotten better at that as he's gotten more playing time. Agree on Edwards wholeheartedly. But I think for the most part, it's something that is is hard. Like you kind of know when you see it in a running back that he, he has it or it's something that's going to be kind of, a weak spot or something that like has to get better and is probably never going to be great. And Hall, I, I have a feeling that's really why he was the take was he's not like an overwhelming physical package, but he's got good enough balance and size and speed. Like he he's a division one level player at all of those things. But the vision to me was the thing that really jumped out. And I mean, was Craig like, okay, Ross have something here. said he's Hassan Haskins. I think that might be right. Haskins, I think had more oomph than it looked like Hall does. But then again, he's right out of high school. So I think that even for Haskins was something where you could see him like hulk up over the years that he was at Michigan and become a little bit more of a power guy. For sure. We also didn't see Cole Cabana. We didn't see Cole Cabana. And I was kind of puzzled that we didn't see CJ Stokes at all. I assume that he was injured in some Yeah, capacity. I have no idea what's going on with Stokes. Because I expected that he would have been the main guy that we would have seen as like, 
you know, Stokes no Corum, no Edwards, right, the default yeah. like number three guy who was competing with you know Tavi Dunlap. We saw a little bit last year, Kalel Mullings, Ben Hall, like all these guys. I would have assumed that Stokes was kind of at the head of the pack, and since we didn't see him, I'm assuming that he was injured, but not really sure. I, I'm guessing though that going into camp that it's going to be Hall and maybe Stokes as the guys who are right behind um right behind Coram and Edwards competing for snaps and Hall you might even see I think as more of the short yardage guy they might try to take some of that load off Coram this year and Hall's got I think enough bulk and like we were talking about the way that he when he sees something he, he hits it pretty hard I think he could be good in that role yeah and what's interesting about this role in particular is you know running back is not the position where being the third string means you never play like if you're a third oh, yeah. string offensive lineman, like good luck, you know, right. getting you're into getting the game. You, it's garbage time only. But there were critical points of last year. I mean, shit, the TCU game in and of itself. There were critical the game. <laughs> points last year where we were like, we have no one behind Coram and Edwards, and where's a third back? Like that is a that's a role where if you're in that spot, you can get real honest-to-God playing time in important, meaningful game minutes in a way that doesn't really happen at a lot of other positions. Definitely. So it was something to watch for, and it was pretty impressive, I thought, from from Benjamin Hall. I, I thought, you know, good for him, and, you know, good on good on Mike Hart. He was, like, also one of the names that Harbaugh called out in the pregame. He listed, That's he right. rattled off a few, but Benjamin Hall was the last one he said, I think, before he you know, ran over, ran back over to the sideline and ended his interview. So good to see. Yeah, I love really our, I love our running back room a lot. So <laughs> I, I'm not going another again, spot you gotta feel real good. About. That's another position, just like the offensive line. I'm not asking questions about the running back situation anytime soon. I'm just not going to, they're going to have the benefit of the doubt for me until they don't. And that's, you know, until I've seen something that forces me to change my mind in the interim, we're going to, we're going to roll with whatever they're deciding because it works. I think that's fair. Uh, on the, uh, I guess the other positions on offense, receivers, no line. It was like I talked about off the top. O line especially was really tough to judge because it was such a kind of hodgepodge of guys, and they didn't have. I don't think Zinger played at all. Keegan, I think played one series. Uh, again, I, I don't know how you like make any meaningful observations out of that. Yeah, offensive line is the hardest because not only you know, we, we were missing key players and a lot, and, you know, Ladarius Henderson didn't play like the transfers weren't. Well, that was the other thing, right? Is Ladarius Henderson and both of the Stanford guys. I mean, Drake Nugent is probably going to be your starting center. And then Miles Hinton is maybe competing at one of the tackle spots. So yeah, without, <laughs> without three potential or, or guys who you think might start in addition to your two guards who are returning starters, like it's possible that we didn't see any of the offensive line starters. I do think Carson Barnhart is probably going to end up starting at one of the positions. They had him playing left tackle, which was interesting, given that last year he was purely a right tackle competing with Trent A. Jones. That made sense, given the nature of the depth chart as it exists right now. With no Ladarius Henderson and no Hinton, those would be your two logical starters if the season started today. But It does not. (laughs) Right, it doesn't. So once Ladarius Henderson comes in in particular, I think he's probably a starter at one of the offensive line spots. So... I'm curious to see in fall camp how that shakes out with Henderson and with Barnhart and Jones and then maybe Hinton as well. And then obviously you've got the interior spots as well, Nugent in particular. I I thought Crippen and Anderson both looked pretty impressive. We saw those guys on opposite sides of the ball and both looked very capable. So I think center, even if um, 
you know, even if you end up seeing one of the young guys, I think we've seen them look pretty much ready to play. So the center position's in, in good shape either way. Yeah, there was a little bit of shakiness, I think, at the tackle spots. But again, it's hard to evaluate in light of the fact that, number one, they're not all playing together in the way that, like, you, when you look at the offense, like, I pulled up the Mays team's offensive line roster, yeah. and it was like, oh, these are actually five people who will never be standing next to each other on the line ever, hopefully. And some and, of them were pretty far down the depth chart, are guys who are obviously not going to be ready yet, like Andrew Gentry, right, just came back from his mission and his... He looks physically impressive, but he's obviously got a lot of technique work to do. Tristan Bounds is But way it's down more the that, chart. like, unlike other positions, the OL is kind of choreographed, right, in a way that, like, all five of these guys have to, to be, be working together cohesively. They rate them as a unit. I mean, I know offensive linemen get individual grades and such, but you really look at them as a unit. Like, what does yeah. this offensive line do or not do? And it's hard to do that when the people who comprise that offensive line aren't people you ever actually anticipate to be on a line together at any point so that part of it was hard I did think that there was some shakiness from the tackles but again that's not something I'm going to sound an alarm on until I have a real reason to sound an alarm on it and I don't think I do when you consider the rotation guys that didn't play you know all of the transfers that we didn't have at our disposal in this game make their way and I, I just don't think it's a real problem or thing at all no definitely not I didn't see anything early from Barnhart or Jones anything concerning from those two and then, to your point, you've got the you know the transfers coming in. So everybody that we did see who had some troubles against, uh, like Derek Moore I mentioned earlier, or Jalen Harrow got, in a, got a couple pressures, I think everybody that we saw having some issues at tackle was third string or lower on the depth chart. So when we're talking about first and second string defensive ends, we're kind of abusing your third string tackles. Like, yeah, that makes sense. That's not... A concern really that's just how it should be yeah I will say I did see some people that f were down on Barnhart a little bit but again I feel like he's he's playing out of position a little bit I don't know if he will be at left by the time the season rolls around but he's been a right tackle for the majority of his career here and so it's like yeah. okay how much stock do I put in that or not I'm not going to put any stock in it until I see an actual offensive line play together you know yeah and, and Barnhart I mean if he does end up playing left tackle He's really not ideally left tackle shape, so that's probably going to be a slightly suboptimal situation if he ends up starting there, which, again, I'm not sure he will. It might be Ladarius Henderson there and maybe Barnhart and Jones fight it out at, at right tackle again. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I'm not super concerned about it. I don't think it would be necessarily the ideal situation, but I also think given that he's shown himself to be a good pass protector already at right tackle, I think at worst he'll be like – uh, maybe slightly above average starting Big Ten tackle. And for Michigan's offensive line, that's <laughs> given how good they are everywhere else, that may be like a relative kind of weak spot, but I wouldn't even call that a weak spot. Agree. I mentioned the receivers too. We saw very little of Cornelius Johnson, almost none of Roman Wilson. They both exited early with so many of the other starters. I was a little surprised we didn't see, as far as I could tell, Tyler Morris, who's gotten a lot of talk this spring as like maybe the starting slot guy taking over for Ronnie Bell. We also didn't see AJ Henning at all. I don't know if that was, you know, presumably injury, but yeah, I don't know. I haven't heard anything on those guys. So I was hoping to see a little bit more of them. We did see some Darius Clemens. We mentioned O'Leary, obviously seems like they've got some guys who are kind of starting to ascend into those roles where they're like Clemens in particular, I think is going to be one of the outside starters next year. Once they lose Cornelius Johnson, 
he had a couple of deep ball targets, the one in particular where he drew a, a PI call. Um, so that was nice to see, but pretty hard to uh, to make a ton of judgments about the receiver situation, given that we saw so little of the starters and then literally none of the <laughs> other guys who were kind of next in line for, for more slot snaps. Right. I kind of feel like there are two ways to evaluate spring games, and some people evaluate them for the long-term future and some people evaluate them for the immediate future. And I think we are in the immediate future camp and that's kind of what makes it hard because we're like, none of this matters for two years, you know, like, uh, like in some ways, there's a lot of a very, very future tea leaf reading in, in this. Well, I think when you're thinking about the longer term future, like there are things that you can see that are particularly promising for a guy's future. You know, when you're seeing Zeke Berry, read a throw to the sideline and uh, it was attempted throw away by Jack Tuttle, but he gets over and, and picks it off. You know, like a, a young guy like Zeke Berry out there, uh, you know, with guys who are relatively high on the, on the defensive depth chart and he's making plays like that stuff where you can be like, okay, this guy's ascending. This is a good sign for his long-term future. There's a lot of other positions, especially like offensive line or interior defensive linemen where it's just, it's always going to take like two to three years in the cooker for them to, to really be anything outside of like the very rare circumstances like Mason Graham, or now we're seeing Kenneth Grant, but for the most part, trying to figure out what those guys are going to look like in two years when they're nowhere near that yet. There's just like, there's no real value in trying to make those, (laughs) make those judgments now. I mean, I think there's like a whole recruiting industry that would beg to differ, but that I suppose we're not those professionals. So, (laughs) well, sure. But a lot of that is, you know, when they are 20, do I think that they can be something? And I don't think a spring game is going to tell you that. You know, the spring game when they're 18, I don't think it's going to tell you that. You might be able to see glimpses of it, but I don't know. I guess I'm just saying that I think there's a lot more near-term value than long-term value in seeing one instance of, <laughs> of, Agree. of practice. Agree. And that, I mean, that's why we look at it the way that we do, right? So when we're saying, well, it's hard to tell, like, it's because we're looking at the immediate or near-term future and not trying to read into what, you know, the 2027 Michigan football <laughs> roster is going to look like. You know what I mean? Yes, correct. Uh, one thing I wanted to touch on before we left the uh, the receivers and the offense overall, Colston Loveland did play, and, man, that dude looks like a problem. <laughs> we kind of already knew he was going to be, but they had one matchup in particular. Not where, a problem for me. <laughs> no, a good, a good problem. <laughs> the right kind of problem. They, uh, they split him out wide against uh i can't remember if it was it might have been pollard or walker i can't remember for sure who he was matched up against on the uh, on the opposite it didn't matter he put him in a blender but yeah i mean he just basically posted a guy up and caught like a you know eight ten yard hitch for a first down and when you can have a guy like like a a six what is he six seven something like that yes cousin greg sized (laughs) exactly just an athlete with a size like that i don't know how you match up against that and that's the thing that Last year's offense, we talked so many times about how this team doesn't have a guy who can go up and catch a contested ball. Colston Loveland can be that guy, even if he's not really a receiver. If you want to throw like, a, you know, a third and seven jump ball, throw it to Colston Loveland because he's shown that he can go up and win those. And I don't know who you put on him as a defense who can seriously contest that, unless you have a Will Johnson. And I don't know if there's anybody else in the Big Ten who does. So... That we was love nice to, to see, see it. <laughs> it was also nice to see Hibner get his moment, even though he got eaten by the turf monster. <laughs> Hibner had a couple nice catches. He had, I think, JJ's first completion on a like a third and five. He ran a little out, and uh, he, he looked like a, a very viable tight end. We also saw A.J. Barner 
had I think one of the touchdowns and a little like pick play coming across the uh, yeah the goal I think line. that's right. So between those guys and Loveland, like the tight end room again, looks like it's a, a very strong group with the you know you can roll two or three guys out there and have Big Ten starter level players, which and, is pretty impressive when you lose Schoonmaker and all in a right, single yeah. off season. Yeah, I think like the uh, the running back situation, the offensive line situation, that's one for me where. I feel like I can pretty confidently say Michigan's going to get good tight end play from multiple players, and I don't even need to look or think that hard about exactly. <laughs> the day we have to worry about Michigan's tight end play is the day that Jim Harbaugh is no longer <laughs> Michigan's head football coach. That's exactly right. So It's like Iowa and special teams. Correct. It's just It goes with the territory. Speaking of special teams, we did not get any field goal attempts, and I, I was a little disappointed. I wanted a field goal attempt so bad. I was like, at the end, you know, Team Mays has the two-point conversion and yeah. goes up one. And I was like, all right, Team Blue, I want you to have... They had like a minute or something they didn't have very long. But I was yeah. like, enough time to set up a game-winning field goal because I That's want right. to see someone kick a field goal. And no luck. So we, no luck. we still don't have really a lot of insight on the specialists, and I really wanted that. I've never begged harder for a field goal. <laughs> well, is- actually, no. The end of the Illinois game was probably up there i suppose <laughs> but we did get some views at uh, at tommy doman in particular he was the uh one of the i can't remember which roster he was on but he was one of the two punters and he was uh he looked pretty good in the punting game i, I would say that his hang time did not quite match what we got from brad robbins from so, healthy brad robbins from healthy brad robbins right so that might be a little bit of a drop off in the sense that you might see more punt return like you might have more options for opponents this year to return punts, whereas that was hardly ever a factor with Robbins in. Doman also was kicking extra points for one of the two teams and didn't have any issues there. And it was interesting. I, I didn't actually see Adam Smaha. The other kicker was um, walk-on Charlie Menser. He was kicking and, and kicking off for, I think, the blue team, if I remember right. And <laughs> there was a pretty stark difference, especially on kickoffs, because... Domans were regularly going through the end zone and Mensers were regularly landing at about the 10 yard line. So I think it's pretty safe to say Doman's going to be kicking off and punting. And I have to think that he's the front runner for the kicking job right now, seeing as how we haven't actually seen any of Samaha. Is Adam Samaha still in school? I thought he was an early enrollee. I don't remember. Yeah. I'd, I'm going to have to check the roster and, and find out, but, uh, Given that Doman looked at least competent on extra points, and we've seen him a little bit, it seems like he's probably the guy doing everything going in, which is maybe not ideal in a perfect world, but I think that's probably the uh, the starting point for going into fall camp, and then we'll see what happens at kicker. Are we going to do recruiting good vibes now? Well, you had uh, suggested something coming out of the spring game, or well, as we were watching oh, the spring right. game. Oh, right. I really. tweeted it, and now I must be held to it. Yeah, it was, oh, no. I think, maybe when, when Jake Thaw caught that touchdown pass, <laughs> your suggestion was you should just find some names, like real names or fake names, and quiz me on which is which. So I've got a short list of names here that uh, I okay. think we can make that happen. And some of these people are on Michigan's roster? Some of these people are on Michigan's roster, and some are just people. Just people. Just people. So real people. They're real people. They're just not on Michigan's roster. They're not roster. on Michigan's roster. Okay. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah, right. We're just going to dive right into it. Uh, Matt McCarty. Michigan's roster. Eh. 
Good start. Good start. Not on Michigan's roster. There is actually a theme to the fake names, but I'll, I'll tell you when we're done. Oh, there's a theme in everything. There is a theme. Okay. <laughs> All right. Henry Donahue. Michigan's roster. Michigan's roster. That is a, a real one. Okay. So you're, you're one for two. Not too bad. Josh Beatham. That's fake. No, that's a Michigan player. <laughs> Damn it. Okay. <laughs> what positions do these people play? Oh, Who dude, are these people? You're going to make me pull up the roster? And yes. <laughs> I want proof that you're not just absolutely capping me to death right now. Fine. All right. Let's see. I'm... Uh, Pulling up the roster Like, here. who the fuck are these people? Yeah, I, I didn't actually make any notes for myself of, of who, who the, the specific people are. Like, you couldn't give me a position? You can't give me a number? Hang on, hang on. Okay, Josh Beatham is a tight end from Yorkville, Illinois, who wears number 40. 40? 40. That's not real. <laughs> That's not even a real tight end number. <laughs> That's why you didn't know him. I suppose. I went with the deep cuts here. Obviously. All right, next on the list, Logan Forbes. That's a Michigan player. That's real. That is a Michigan player. Good call. Logan Forbes what is... is what's a Logan Forbes? <laughs> what does he do? A Logan Forbes is a wide receiver from Clarkston who wears number 35. Clarkston, baby. That's, That's my rival backyard. high school. From your backyard. All right, next we got uh, Ryan Gibson. I'm just going with sheer probabilities here. We've had two Michigan players in a row, so I'm going with fake. Oh, that's bullshit. You're playing the probability game. <laughs> that, that is a fake name. I mean, it's a real name, but he's not on Michigan's roster. So I'm just, I'm, I'm playing the man, okay? I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not playing the game. I'm, I'm reading you. <laughs> Getting prepped for, uh, for, for the next trip to Vegas, huh? Uh-huh. All right. Next name we got here is Chase Seifert. Ooh, Seifert. That's like a... I'm saying that's a real name. I know people would like, I've heard of that name. Like, yes, Serena, that's <laughs> that obviously a real, a real name. That's a Michigan player. Eh. Fuck. <laughs> not a Michigan player. This was not your best effort. That's all the names I got right now. And you went two for six. <laughs> <laughs> well, what am I? I thought I went three for six. I went two for six. Only two for six. Damn. You got Henry Donahue and uh, Ryan Gibson. Damn. Oh, no, actually, you got Logan Forbes. My yeah, bad. Yeah, fuck three. off. I got half, okay? Yeah, you got three. My bad, my bad. So the the theme, of the, the other names that I picked, the quote-unquote fake names, those are all Corn Ferry Tour golfers. <laughs> Get out of here. Yeah, I just pulled up uh, I pulled up the, uh, the Corn Ferry Tour standings and picked fake names. So you're telling me guys. that somebody <laughs> listening to this might know who those people are? That is possible. If you're well, a big enough golf fan, you might know who any of those I am not are. that person. Serena was not going to know who any of those people were, so I felt pretty safe from that standpoint. Yeah, Matt plays a PGA game on PS5 all the time. I do. And every single time they show like a leaderboard, and sometimes he's winning and sometimes he's getting his ass kicked, but every single time they show the leaderboard, unless it's Tiger Woods, I'm like, literally, who the fuck <laughs> is that? I I've felt never going down below the PGA Tour, I was pretty safe. Yeah, I've never heard. Even on the PGA Tour, I'm like, if it's not Tiger or Phil, I don't know who that's the right. fuck you're talking about. That's right. What about Jordan Spieth? You know that one? I know who that is. Right. I think there's a few more you could probably get. Vaguely. Rory McIlroy? Yes, that's definitely a person. <laughs> that's definitely a person. <laughs> like, I don't know. How about Jaden Davis? Do you know that one? I do. I do. What, a, what a nice little segue. That was smooth. I'm very skilled. You're very so professional skilled. podcaster. Yes. I was Friday 
I was on like a marathon of calls, just absolute work marathon of calls. But they, you know, had like half an hour. They were like, okay, we're going to leave this Zoom open. But everybody mute themselves, turn off their cameras and grab some lunch. And that happened to be right at the exact moment of the Jaden Davis commitment. So I like sprinted out of the office and, you know, turned on ESPN for five or 10 minutes to watch that happen. Huge for Michigan. Really exciting you know, quarterback of the future. And he made some pretty interesting comments after his commitment too, that I thought were, were something he, it almost came off the tenor of them was like, he was insulted that teams thought he could be bought completely. He did make a comment to ESPN along the lines of my commitment can't be bought. You know, I'm here for more than money. And I actually thought the, uh, the announcement itself, I mean, the fact that like his mom was crying the whole time and then almost immediately, like he started choking up, and th- this did not just feel like a normal like guy announces where he's going to college. Decision. It felt like there was something more to it. He cares. Either, yes, he cares. Yeah. And I don't know if that's, you know, Harbaugh and the relationships that he's built with the coaching staff or something about the school and just understanding kind of the overall opportunity that he has at, at Michigan as a, a university, maybe some combination thereof. But it felt like it was really something special to him. And that was pretty cool to see it, it just – you know, such an emotional moment for him. And then the comments about, uh, yeah, like you said, it almost sounded like teams that had come in with very specific, like, hey, what can we offer you to get you in? Like, he, he came across as being insulted by that and saying, like, Harbaugh can't tell a lie. He's my guy. I would run through a wall for him. You could just tell that he's he's really all in on uh, on Michigan and on turning this into the kind of recruiting class that Michigan hasn't had in a while, like an actual top two, top three national recruiting class. And we talked about this a little bit last time that I think we see this as the time for Michigan really to capitalize. And we called it the Clemson model, right? Where you get elite quarterback play or elite skill position talent. And if you're good enough everywhere else, that's how you can win a national championship without being Bama or Georgia, without having classes with, you know, nine, five without stars. Without being elite everywhere. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you have that, sure, you can do whatever you want and you have a lot of margin for error. But there's really only like, I don't know, two, three, four schools that can do that with any regularity. Unfortunately, Michigan generally hasn't been one of those. But when you've got, you know, J.J. McCarthy, Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards combination, and then <laughs> now you're seeing this class come together with a five-star quarterback in Jaden Davis and potentially two top 100 running backs you're again kind of building that for the future and if you can build around that well enough this is how you have a regular national title contender and you're starting to see that momentum carry over right now for example Michigan since Davis's announcement has had a pretty massive crystal ball run with uh, I went back to the uh, the 24/7 page yesterday to <laughs> to kind of pull some of these names Andrew Sprague Blake Frazier, Max Anderson, those are all high four-star top 200 offensive tackles. Then there's high four-star linebacker Aaron Childs, high four-star linebacker Jeremiah Beasley, again, all top 250 guys. Those are the, I believe, the composite number 10 and number 13 linebackers in the country. High four-star edge Brian Robinson, who's one of the top Ohio recruits we were talking about, a guy who has an Ohio State offer but has heavy Michigan crystal ball lean. They'll tell you it's not committable, though. He's right, not a take. Course. He's not a it's, take. It's always that Ohio State cooled on him or they, you he's know, not whatever. A take, right. He's not a take for Ohio State. Jaden Davis was a take for Ohio State, I'll tell you that. <laughs> he certainly was. And Ohio State's kind of in an interesting spot because they do not have a quarterback in this class. I mean, they... They had number one overall recruit 
uh, Dylan Rayola. Who looks like he's going to go to Georgia now. That's right. He decommitted from Ohio State a couple months ago, and when that happened, they went pretty hard back after Jaden Davis, who was early on one of the guys they had high on their list. They sent the whole offensive staff, including Ryan Day, out to North Carolina to visit him back in, I think, late January. And uh, what do you know? They still don't have a quarterback, and Michigan has Jaden Davis. So they can tell you all they want about, oh, you only get guys that we didn't actually want, but you don't have a quarterback, and Michigan has the guy you went after hard when you didn't get the number one overall dude. So got to feel pretty good about that. Uh, but, yeah, just kind of going through those names, they're already at the uh, – right now the number three class in the country – and their class is, if you just include those guys that I mentioned, assume that they do commit to Michigan, you're going to have a class that's probably about two-thirds full. We'll have like 17 or 18 guys in it, and we'll be probably number two, number three in the country. There's a real chance that this will be Michigan's best recruiting class under Harbaugh, and again, just the kind of class that they've not had in a long time, the kind that you can look at a few years from now and say, yeah, that, that group could legitimately win a national title. Yeah, that so. would be great. So it's clo- it's time to close. Yeah, this you, is, you, you got to close finish. on those guys. Yep. On that note, we want to talk very briefly about the NIL hail impact announcement, the new collective that just got announced this week. Yeah, I hate NIL, but yes, sure, let's do that. <laughs> Same, but it is relevant. It's relevant, I think, in particular because it's not that I hate NIL. I hate talking about NIL. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. we're I, fully I, in I'm favor not, of guys yes, I'm not getting anti- their bags. Yes. Yeah. It's interesting, though, because Michigan's already obviously playing some in the NIL world, right? But we've talked a lot about the difference between NIL and quote-unquote NIL, which is just paying guys. like Bag dropping. There's actually getting endorsements, and then there's dropping bags and using the guise of NIL to do pay-for-play. This feels like Michigan getting more into the gray area between NIL and quote-unquote NIL in the sense that this is a nonprofit collective that links players with community service opportunities and it provides basically set NIL payments. The goal is to raise $5 million a year so that every player on the team gets a $40,000 salary functionally in exchange for doing kind of Ann Arbor slash university community service stuff. Isn't this basically what Texas did? That's right, yeah. There's Isn't a, this like exactly what Texas is? Th- isn't it? There's Notre also Dame community also, service and I think based Ohio State in some started, way. Yeah, there's several schools that are doing this, and this is... I think the kind of softest way for schools to dip their toe in the water, dip their toe into pay for play, basically donors are going to fund it. So it's not going direct through us and they still have to do some stuff. Like they have to do community service type stuff as part of that's the exchange, right? You get the compensation in exchange for basically making yourself the face of this organization's golf outing or like whatever fundraiser you're attending or whatever service project you're participating in. Sure. It's a, it's a softer form of pay for play basically. Yeah. Checks out. And everybody's getting a a set payment. Uh, Again, the goal is $40,000 for everybody who signs up for it, which presumably would be everybody on the roster, which is how they set the target at $5 million a year. I don't know if they're going to hit that, but the fact that, they've got something now in place like this, like some of the other big schools are doing, kind of shows that they're moving beyond what they have been doing, which is we're not going to promise you money, but when you get here, you know that the Michigan brand will offer you opportunities for money. I mean, now you're going to have something that, assuming it gets funded at at least a reasonably high or something close to what their target is, you'll have something where you can say, we're going to give you $40,000 a year as a football player, and then you can earn whatever you earn on top of that yeah, and I think the tie to community service is 
exactly right because it's the kind of thing that for the blue hairs or the people who are very very old school about you know student athlete Mm -hmm. and whatever it makes it so much more palatable to tie it to a service organization it's like it's like nil greenwashing you know like (laughs) yeah basically right i mean that that's kind of what it is and you know i've never given a shit so fine but like and i think it helps that this has harbaugh's explicit blessing like the guys they were actually uh, michigan ross alums two guys who started this program and they went to Harbaugh, got in touch with him and said, here's what we want to do. We want to start this program. This is how we want to do it. Who says MBAs can't add any value to the world? Yeah, that's right. We occasionally come up with some bullshit. Uh, Yeah, they said they talked to him for about 10 or 15 minutes and he kind of said, he said Harbaugh sat up and pulled the chew out of his mouth and was like, yeah, I want to do this. Let's do it. How do we make it happen? So that that sounds like exactly what happened. God, and, I'm, uh, I can't wait. I'm counting down the minutes until I see Harbaugh, like, keeled over on the sideline, like, giving that, you know, that, like, nar- narrow-eyed squint uh-huh. at something happening with his hat on. And you can see his chew in his mouth, and you can see the container of chew <laughs> in his front pocket just oh, kind yeah. of, like, protruding through his pants. Like, I'm so yeah, ready. got that skull there, right? Give it to me. <laughs> yeah, but apparently this was with Harbaugh's direct blessing. And they talked about it. It, it sounded like they had a pretty explicit strategy, which was— there's this, and then there's the sort of commercial NIL opportunities. And this this is supposed to be complimentary, right? Where this is the, the nonprofit public service component. And then the champion circle. Three legs of a stool. One, right? yes. Yeah. The valiant one is supposed to be kind of the other component of that, where you have actual commercial NIL opportunities, which is more like the, uh, you know, like Blake Corum has deals with Wolverine and with Subway and some others. Like that's the commercial component. And then this is the community service component. So you've got different prongs or like different irons out there in the fire to bring in revenue streams for athletes and really kind of make the program as comprehensive as it can be to make sure that you're not getting out offered in any way other than the programs that are just going to entirely flout the rules and say, yeah, we'll, we'll just, you know, we'll pay $9 million or whatever, like some of those numbers that are going around. Right. Like this is about as above board as you can be with it. Correct. And, you know, like we said, it's gray. It's, it's not quite. Right bag drop territory but it's it's about as close as you can be without probably as far as michigan's gonna dip into it at this point before it it seems to be about as far as most other major schools are there's probably some that are you know going even far like hello jimbo i was gonna say uh, nice to see you again jimbo (laughs) yeah so there's only so much you can do and still be like plausibly abiding by the rules but it seems like michigan is now kind of at that point and We'll see how much of a difference it makes, but uh, you know, a forty thousand dollar a year stipend, if that's what they can get to, certainly will not hurt in their recruiting efforts. For sure. You want to talk a little bit about basketball and/or hockey? Well, let's do hockey so we can end on something happy. Um, well, do you want to do basketball first and then hockey, or correct. are we just going to skip basketball entirely? Oh, okay, basketball. <laughs> Everybody is gone. Thank you. The roster I think is that about sums it up. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> no, I mean, okay. So Hunter Dickinson announced that he was leaving for the transfer portal, which I think is a little bit of an that upset. That was a pretty big upset. Yeah. Um, it sounds like that may not be like there. There is still considered a possibility that he'll come back, but the quotes kind of make it seem like Michigan's moved on and he's moved on. So I, I don't know where that's going to end up, but. Dickinson's gone. Jet Howard and Kobe Bufkin both declared for the draft. They have some young pieces, but there's a lot of holes to fill to even be, uh, like, to even tread water, realistically. 
Yeah, that's about as much as I want to talk about that, honestly. <laughs> I think that's fair. We can talk about that at maybe a less depressing, depressing. time. It's depressing. I'm point. over it. We have a Frozen 4 to talk about. Goddamn right we do. Seems like more fun. I think we should mention, too, that Brandon Narado got the interim tag. I'm right. mad about this, actually. I'm, oh, ma- yeah? I'm mad about it because I Are thought they... that they were... I thought we were going to have Steve Fisher Juju. And then they went and took the interim tag off before the tournament ended. And I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, we had Steve, like, it was, come on, guys. Like, I did kind of assume that they were negotiating or, or were holding off on finishing negotiations until the season ended. And then it just kind of out of the blue got announced that he was like, I don't fuck with Juju. Wrote. They fucked with the Juju. Yeah, they fucked with the Juju, I guess. But no, it was still good to see for him. I mean, he absolutely earned it. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, I wanted it to happen. I just wanted it to happen in like a week. (laughs) Yeah. Right after winning a national title, maybe. Correct. That would be, that's the the goal. Yes. Yeah. No, barring uh, ruining the Steve Fisher juju, this was obviously the right move. It was obviously going to happen. And uh, and it was cool to see. And now hopefully they can kind of ride some of that good vibes into the the Frozen Four where they've got Knipiak. They beat last year seven to four to get into the Frozen Four. This year, they've got Kanipiak in the Frozen Four. And then if they win that one, they would play Saturday evening in Tampa against the winner of Boston U and Minnesota, Minnesota, number one Minnesota, who they have beaten two of the last three times they've played all in Minneapolis. I don't want to see that. The math tells me that we, we lose the next one. Uh, it's, just, it's just the rules. I don't make the rules. They did lose that's... the first two in Ann Arbor. So overall... They are uh, two and three against Minnesota. So maybe by the numbers, they should be able to win one more. I don't know. They, they went to Minneapolis and yeah. knocked the goalposts off 100 <laughs> times over, whatever, the nets off 100 times right. over, and made everybody in Minneapolis mad. But it, it just feels like after that, we're due to lose the next one. That's just the vibe. So I don't want to see them. Minnesota, I think, also is all around the best team in the country. My half alma mater, Boston University. Let's That's go right. Terriers. <laughs> I realized that, uh, so we have, we have a trip to Las Vegas planned this weekend for the long Easter weekend. And I realized that I have a flight booked Thursday night directly overlapping with the hockey game. This is so. what happens when I let you book the flight. <laughs> Yeah, I'm uh, I'm pretty fucking devastated about that. I'm going to be following the best I can online through, you know, Boingo Wi-Fi or whatever it is you can buy for like nine bucks on United. We'll see how that goes. It's probably going to be horrifying, but uh, hopefully we get a, a win in that one and get a chance to watch Saturday night for uh, what would be a chance at Michigan's first national championship in, I mean, in football, basketball or hockey since 1998. The 25-year reunion, this would be, a, or 25-year anniversary, this would be a, a pretty good time to, to end that drought. From a sports book, which would be a pretty fun place to watch. We'd I probably suppose. be watching in a sports book, yeah. And I mentioned, by the way, that the last time, well, not the last time, I mean, they won in 98, but they ended their drought before that, Michigan Hockey did, in 1996 with Red Berenson's first national title. And the following year in football, I think y'all know what happened. That, so, those are the vibes. Think, we're going to end on those vibes. I think that's the right spot to end. There's, there are no better vibes than those. So with that, if you're still here, thank you for listening, and we'll see you back soon. Go Blue.